Om Young Masuk, the Clippers unveiled new uniforms and logos this week, going back to their roots, if you will. You're there covering this team almost every day. How are you feeling about them? Clinton, I, I, I like them. I mean, look, I know you're a DC guy, right? You're a DMV yeah. guy like me. Um, sure, the colorway looks a little wizardy, I guess, uh, with that dark blue. But I like that they're trying to create like their own path with like this new logo that kind of harkens back to what the Clippers are. It has a very nautical sense to it, basically a compassy type of look to it. Even right down to the N in Los Angeles is like basically the north sign. The logo kind of has like this, it looks it's a boat, you know what I mean? Right. It's coming at you. It looks aggressive. The uniforms, I think, kind of have a mixture of of their past from San Diego. You know, people were hitting me up on Twitter like, doesn't it look just like the Wizards logo? Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, guys, <laughs> this is the United States of America. Red, white, and blue is the most common uniform color combo all the way up from Little League to the bigs. But just, yes, I would go so far as to say this is one of the better rebrands we've seen in all of sports in the last five to ten years because of all of the points that you mentioned. It looks good. And yes, y'all, for those of you who just learned today, Clippers are boats. <laughs> But for those wondering why a team would announce a rebrand and new uniforms in the middle of the season, can you explain owner Steve Ballmer's thinking here? Well, look, I, they are building into a dome as fast as possible. I mean, it is going up so fast that every single time I visit that place, it looks completely different. You know, I think they needed this uh, logo to come out so that they probably can build it into the infrastructure in the arena, which makes a lot of sense. And they are wasting no time. I think they branded it on Monday. I think at 10 o'clock at the Grove from 10 to 9, you could go and actually buy merch. The new merch that came out, which Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, and I think James Harden all kind of like wore on their way to the arena. So they're ready to sell it. It's an exciting time, Clinton, to be a Clipper because they're finally getting ready to move into their new home. Something they have not been able to say in Los Angeles for a very long time. They've been the stepchild in crypto and prior to that, Staples Center, for a long time. And now they get to call a place as their own home. And guess what? They have a title contender this season. So it's a very exciting time for the Clippers. The Clippers are eagerly anticipating the opening of their new Inglewood Arena next fall which makes tonight's matchup versus the Lakers the final time these teams will play as co-tenants in a building they've shared for 25 seasons. But despite their middling history and traditional second-class status in Los Angeles, this Clippers team is suddenly looking as formidable as ever. So today, Om Young Rasek explains how the Clippers turned a disastrous start into stunning success and why a title may, at long last, be within reach. I'm Clinton Yates. It's Wednesday, February 28th. This is ESPN Daily. Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? 
Each transaction is a step toward a free 11th ticket with Vivid Seats rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code DAILY. That's code DAILY. Visit VividSeats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats. Experience it live. Oh, my look at this Clippers squad. In late November, they had fallen to number 21 in ESPN's NBA power rankings. Recently, they've risen all the way to number four. So as our guy following this team day in and day out, we brought you here to explain how this turnaround came together. What did rock bottom look like for the Clips? And why were they struggling so much earlier in the season? Look, they went into camp with Russell Westbrook as their starting point guard, and he was happier than ever. He was prepared to be a vocal leader for the team, which I think he still is. And so, you know, they had this whole team ready to go. But in the backdrop was James Harden lingering around because all summer long, James Harden wanted to be traded and he wanted to go to the Clippers. So the trade finally happens. And now it's like everything's got to change. Ty Lue has to learn who James Harden is, how to play with James Harden, how to fit these pieces all in there. You know, basically, I think it was uh, five games into the season, six games into the season. So from that standpoint, they were going to struggle early. So they lost the first game right after the trade, but James Harden did not suit up. And after that, they lose the next five. And, you know, from that standpoint, Ty Lue kept telling all of us or anybody who wanted to hear, look, this is going to work. And, you know, you were wondering, like, OK, how is how is he going to figure this out? Like, I remember asking him, I think it was in New York, how many games do you need to figure this out? And he said 10. He needed more than 10. <laughs> and then I, they ended up losing six straight. And I think after a while I said, I don't think it's not going to be 10. You know, how many games are you going to need? And he actually said, I may need the whole season. But it didn't turn out to be the whole season because there was a pivotal point for them where after they lost their sixth straight game at Denver, I remember walking out with Ty Lue in Denver and I said something to him about, do you even like lean on your mentors at this point? Like, have you talked to Phil Jackson, you know, who he played for? And he said, no, I haven't called Phil. And he goes, and even if I did, he goes, uh, Phil Jackson never lost six straight games. Well, I did look it up. I think Phil did lose six straight games at one point, surprisingly. But to Ty Lue's point, you know, this was a, a struggle that he would have to get out uh, and figure out on his own. And they did that. They turned it around during this three-day break between the loss at Denver and their next game against Houston. Russell Westbrook approached Ty Lue and basically said, whatever you need me to do, I'll do. If you need me to come off the bench, I'll come off the bench. The guys had talked all about James Harden, Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, and Russell Westbrook, that if they were going to make this work, it required sacrifice. And Ty Lue said the same thing. So the guy who has sacrificed the most is Russell Westbrook, one of the former MVPs on this team. He was the starting point guard, as I said, entering camp, very happy. He opened up the season looking like vintage Russ trying to tear the rim down. And now he was going to have to go come off the bench because he thought the six-game losing streak has to stop. And I think from that standpoint, from that point on, Clinton, things started to take off because that allowed James Harden to kind of basically run the offense 
and learn how to run the offense under Ty Lue. They didn't just turn it around. They eventually went on a nine-game win streak in December, and since then, they've won almost 70% of their games. As of late, they've been hovering around two or three games out of first place. Break it down for us. What were some of the key moments over these last few months, beyond just a turnaround, that have helped them get all the way back, looking like the title contender that you said they were? They started to really believe and see what they could do. You know, they beat Golden State. They hold on and beat them by one. The shot clock is dark. They're down by two. George wants it all. The three. Oh, my goodness. Clippers win. They battle back from down 22. Wow. They ended up basically beating Denver, which was like kind of almost getting over the hump for them. And Leonard trying to drive and create some space. Fall away. Line drive goes down for Kawhi Leonard. Last two games been really strong, efficient, and getting into a rhythm with James Harden on the floor. They started handling their business in the fourth quarter. That was like a big time, we're starting to believe moment for them. They were waiting for a classic James Harden game for him to detonate because James Harden was like, just kind of like passing the ball a lot, trying to feed guys. He was trying to fit in. And then all of a sudden, in Indiana, James scores 21 of 35 in the fourth quarter. He's bearing a flurry of threes. Shot clock at three. He's going to drive He's going to drive I'm driving by. He's, he's making his three-point shot. He has 14 in the fourth quarter. Kawhi Leonard and Paul George at one point, they're on the bench watching. They explode off the bench after he hit, like, so many consecutive threes. Here he comes again, Harden. That's his eighth. And he got fouled. And I remember thinking, you don't see that very often from Kawhi Leonard. He is not emotional at all. And for him to explode like that, you could see them really kind of start to, to bond together. And James Harden ended up on the court doing snow angels. Entering this season, before they even traded for James Harden, the goal was we got to take the regular season seriously. We have to be healthy and we have to win and we have to get the highest seed possible. No more messing around of trying to avoid the play in. No more messing around of like trying to figure out who we're going to match up with. We just want the highest seed possible home court advantage. And that's why you see them as successful as they've been. You spoke of matchups and the NBA is a matchup league, particularly in the playoffs. You mentioned Zubats earlier. I love that player. He's my favorite player on the team because when he gets the ball in the paint, he does one thing. He dunks it, which is how you're supposed to play the big man <laughs> position. What specifically about how they match up with teams do you think works well for this particular squad? Clinton, Ty Lue would tell you that he that uh, Zoo doesn't dunk it enough. I, I call Zoo Shaq Zoo sometimes because I do think he dunks it like an old school big center Hartman's on the break, back to Zoo. Oh, my goodness! Run my soul! Evita Zubac punishing the rim. I think one major growth of that team was the connection between James Harden and Evita Zubac. James Harden would stay after practice, every practice and every shoot-around for 15, 20 minutes, working on basically pick-and-rolls with Evita Zubac, Daniel Tice, once Mason Plumlee came back, Mason Plumlee, and the younger guys, a lot of the younger guys that don't really play. He tells them what where he wants the screens, how he wants them to roll, every little nuance there is. When James Harden gets traded to a new team, we've seen this before, he's on his best behavior. Everything is working for him early on. 
and he's trying to make everything work. James Harden, though, happens to probably be the best passer they've ever had. And so now Kawhi Leonard is getting, you know, the ball easier and in different spots probably than he's not used to before. Kawhi Leonard is like, you know, we call him the robot, the Terminator, the cyborg. And it's because he's so methodical in getting to his spots and backing guys in and getting to his mid-range spots that now he didn't have to do as much work to get there because James Harden was helping him get to those points. And now it's not Paul George handling the ball as much and try to play make. Paul George can focus on just trying to score and shoot and things like that because of James Harden. And maybe what we'll see in the playoffs is opponents try to take that away from the Clippers, try to take James Harden, not necessarily his scoring, but his playmaking out, because that is something that I think is a point of attack that's really helped the Clippers. James Harden and what you alluded to in terms of his timeline of happiness is something that we've seen in triplicate in this league over the course of the years, obviously. What do you think beyond just on-court play has changed about this approach for him in terms of how he fits into the Clippers? Where do you think he's at mentally and physically right now, especially after dealing with injuries a fair amount after all these years? He's healthy. I think he's in shape. I think he's happy being at home in Los Angeles. This is a place that he wanted to be. I think he likes playing for Ty Lue. I think Ty Lue gives him that freedom. He had mentioned in his opening press conference, which was, you know, a little bit of a shot at Doc Rivers, but he said that he needed a coach who would allow him to be him. If I got a, a, a voice to where I can, hey, coach, I see this. You know, what you think about this? Then it's like, oh, okay. Like somebody that trusts me, that believes in me, that understands me, that I'm just not a, you know, I'm, a, I'm not a system player. I am a system. You know what I mean? I think the, the quote that, that got taken away and everybody was like, oh, I'm my own system, which is what he kind of said. But what he was trying to explain is that you got to let him, you got to give him some freedom to play and kind of figure things out. But also you have to give him some direction and work with him. Like if he sees something on the court that he thinks they can take advantage of, he wants a head coach that can work with him. It's how he explained it. And he said with Ty Lu, he feels he has that connection where they can work together with something that they can see is working and things like that. He would have that freedom to do it. Let's be uh, 100% transparent as well. James Harden's going to be looking for a new contract as well. And so I think that contract motivation is another factor here of why everything seems to be working for him. Now, they're winning. That's another thing too, Clinton. When they're winning, James Harden is happy. Coming up, we take a closer look at the Clippers' quiet but dominating star, Mr. Fun Guy, Kawhi Leonard. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home some huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. 
Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Shopping for Mother's Day is usually a challenge because you people wait until the last minute. But Macy's Gift Finder makes it incredibly fast and easy to find the right gift just in time for Mother's Day. Whether you're shopping for your sister's first one or for your fashionista mom who likes to make a statement, Macy's Gift Finder has so many great gift ideas that you can easily pick out something special to celebrate with them both. You can shop by price anywhere from 25 bucks and under to, say, 100 bucks and below. You can also sort by category like fragrance, handbags, and more, or gift lists like for the mom who has everything, or even pre-wrapped gifts for grandma. Find top brands like Studio Pro Model Beats headphones, Polaroid cameras, and Samsung smart TVs. So, what are you waiting for? Mother's Day is May 12th, and it'll be here before you know it. Macy's has the perfect gift guide to make picking something for mom easy this year. Head to Macy's.com slash gift finder today. That's Macy's.com slash gift finder. Um, we know that this team has four all-stars, but we also know that the squad is built around Kawhi Leonard. He signed with the Clippers nearly five years ago now, was expected to be the savior of the franchise. He's never really matched his own high watermark from when they won the championship with Toronto that season, mainly because he struggled to stay on the court. Let's take stock of where Kawhi is right now. Look, Clinton, what if I told you Kawhi Leonard's played 51 games so far this season? The most he's played as a Clipper is 57. Mm. There were two seasons where he played 52 games each. He's about to eclipse that, and he's going to go well beyond that. In fact, I think he's going to play more games than he played in Toronto, which was 60. He's on track to play his most games since playing 74 games in 2016-17 against San Antonio. And I would say that the biggest reason why the Clippers are playing the way they are is because Kawhi Leonard is having an MVP-like season. You may look at the numbers and you may think, nah, you know what, the numbers aren't as good as Nikola Jokic, who obviously uh, is on a rampage again. Uh, Joel Embiid obviously was putting up monster numbers before he got hurt. Luka Doncic, Shea Gilgis, Alexander, they put up monster numbers every night. Kawhi Leonard is drawing double teams almost on a nightly basis now like an MVP, and he still is dictating how the game goes because he's finding guys, open guys. He's still able to score. When he's playing at his best, that's when the Clippers are at their best. And I would say this is probably his best regular season as a Clipper because he's been healthy. Earlier in the season, quietly when he was playing a lot of games, and I think they played, him and Paul George had played in their most consecutive back-to-backs. It was like four straight back-to-backs, right? Yeah. You know, especially like when that player participation policy came out, every outlet had a picture of Paul George and Kawhi Leonard stamped on that article about that player participation policy. Yeah, this was a league-wide policy that was meant to discourage star players from trying to get extra rest by sitting games out, something that Kawhi, and to an extent Paul George as well, had become kind of synonymous with. Kawhi joked with me and said, huh, well, maybe we should sue for, what do they call it? Negligence, which was like, you know, classic uh, Kawhi understated humor, like he deadpanned it. And quietly, Kawhi Leonard, he's been playing games, he's been healthy, Knock on wood, but if Kawhi Leonard stays healthy like this, he's he's the guy. I mean, like, when he's playing like like the way he was against Phoenix last year, had he stayed healthy in that series, 
they had a chance to beat Phoenix in the first round. And I remember talking to some Nuggets people that they were like, ooh, we saw the way Kawhi was playing. Like, they remained confident against the Clippers because they had Nikola Jokic. But I think they also knew Kawhi Leonard was going to be a problem. You talked about how the Clippers' fate turned once Russell Westbrook went to the bench. In this space, we've previously documented how he's never really been a great jump shooter, but seemed quite determined to shoot the rock a lot anyway. Has Westbrook come to terms with who he is in his career and where he's at, not just as a player, but as a guy and as a leader, perhaps, as well? I think a little bit. I mean, I I think, uh, you know, he would probably admit that on certain nights, it's still a struggle. I mean, look, this is a guy who is a former MVP and, you know, he's always played with his heart on his sleeve. His whole game is like aggression, attacking, energy, hustle in your face. Like, I don't care what people think about me. I'm going to do what I do. And it's worked. It's what's gotten me here. It's a very tough adjustment for Russell Westbrook, who you can often see that he doesn't hide his emotions. But I think what they've done here is that they've kind of just tried to figure out his role, which is bring what you bring, because we're still going to need it. We still need the offensive rebounding. We still need the hustle. We still need the energy, because this is an older team, and on some nights we just don't have it. You got to bring it. He's not taking as many, I guess, Bad shots, if you will, like early in the shot clock. Those shots would be like early in the shot clock, maybe a pull up or a three or anything like that. And he will tell you he thinks he's playing some of the best defense in the league, period. I think coming out of the all-star break, Russell Westbrook ranked in the top five in field goal percentage allowed as the contesting defender and top 10 in effective field goal percentage allowed as the contesting defender this season per second spectrum. So I I think his role is pretty defined and he kind of knows what he has to do and he has to do it in a limited amount of time. Some nights it doesn't always work great, but other nights uh, it's working great. And I think he believes that he should be in the running for sixth man of the year. Their two most recent losses, getting to now, were against two of the better teams in the West, OKC and Sacramento. Number one, did either of those performances give you any reason for concern? And We see now also that ESPN Bet has them as the third most likely team to win the finals. Long story short, how much higher is the ceiling for these Clippers in terms of what they can actually do with the playoffs, regular season success aside? I think like the rest of the Western Conference, Clinton, it's going to come down to matchups. The Clippers do have, I think, what a trend we have seen is that they do have an Achilles heel. If they play against a team that's very good defensively or very long, able to protect the rim and the paint, or disruptive defenders, they have trouble. I think in the third quarter against Oklahoma City last week, they had their shots blocked like seven times. It looked like every single time they got to the rim, it was a block. If they're not hitting their outside shots, it's going to be a long day for them. And lately, they just haven't been executing the way Tyloo wants them to. He thinks that mentally they just haven't been in it. Kawhi Leonard said the other night, We're steps slow. We're competing, but we're steps slow, and they have to figure things out. So maybe where earlier in the season they were winning a lot of games, as Tyler would say, based on our talent, now they have to execute better. But I would say this. Tyler is a top two or three head coach in this league. I think when you get into a playoff series, he's going to figure things out and get these guys in the best position. I think you have four veterans, two of them former MVPs, 
one of them a former two-time finals MVP, I think all of them want to win a championship. And I think all of them know what's at stake here. And so I think they're just trying right now to figure out, let's try to play our best basketball going into the playoffs. Pop quiz, hot shot, and anyone that listened to the show yesterday already heard this, but I love the Steve Ballmer soundbite so much, I'm bringing it up again. Ohm, you have 30 seconds. Do not cheat. Give me the number of toilets, according to Steve Ballmer, that will be in the new arena. Let me let me just uh, channel my inner Steve Ballmer. We have the most toilets of any arena in the league, in the world. Three times the NBA average number of toilets and girls. We do not want people waiting in line. We want them to get back to their damn seats. Let me tell you something. When Steve Ballmer tells you he has the most toilets, you better believe him. He once took me into a room in the Intuit Dome, and he said, I, I want to show you something that's really cool. It, it wasn't a room of toilets, okay? But it was a room full of different type of arena seats. And he said, I want you to sit in each one and tell me what you think. And it, I'm telling you, he knew the details of every seat right down to the length of like how much knee space you had wow. with the seat in front of you. And he was like, feel this cushion right here. What do you think of this seat? What do you think of this seat? Steve Ballmer was intimately involved in every detail of that arena. So if he tells you that he has the most toilets and they flush the best, I will say that I think Toto toilets are the best. So Steve Ballmer, hopefully you fill that arena with Toto toilets. <laughs> the minutia by which Steve Ballmer has planned out this facility is incredible, but I see how you bypassed any attempt at answering the pop quiz. So I will share. Total toilets, 1,160. <laughs> Thank you all. Thanks, Clint. Thanks for that amazing stat. I'm Clinton Yates. This has been ESPN Daily. We'll talk to you tomorrow, kiddos.